You're listening to Peter Lewis's Money Talk. And a good morning to you. This is Peter Lewis welcoming you to my brand new podcast, Money Talk, for Monday, the 20th of March. Each weekday morning on Peter Lewis's Money Talk, I'll bring you the latest business and finance stories ready for the start of Asian trading. And in today's headlines, UBS has agreed to buy Credit Suisse for 3 billion Swiss francs. That's about three and a quarter billion US dollars in a government-sponsored deal to rescue the troubled lender following a weekend of frantic negotiations. The chairman of UBS, Colm Kelleher, described the takeover as absolutely essential to global finance. The People's Bank of China on Friday made a surprise cut in its reserve requirements ratio of 25 basis points. The cut in the triple R, which is the amount of cash that banks must hold as reserves at the central bank, is the first this year and becomes effective on March the 27th. President Xi Jinping will pay a state visit to Moscow starting from today amid warnings from the US of unspecified consequences should President Xi decide to send arms to Russia. On today's programme, I'm joined by Alex Wong, Director at Alex K.Y. Wong Asset Management and Nitin Diaudis, Chief Investment Officer at Mandarin Capital. And let's take a look at the markets in the US markets. On Friday, stocks, treasury yields, crude oil and the dollar all fell. The major US equity indices closed in the red as fears over the health of the banking system mounted. The S&P 500 slid 1.1% to end at 3,917. Despite the down day, the S&P 500 advanced 1.4% last week. The Nasdaq Composite was down 0.7% to 11,631. The index gained 4.4%. Over the five sessions, its best week since January the 13th, and its outperformance over the week was helped by technology stocks. But it was a miserable week for banking shares. Banks in the US, Europe and Japan have fallen 16% so far this month, losing a collective $459 billion US dollars in market value. That's the sharpest drop since the start of the COVID pandemic in March 2020. In New York, shares of First Republic Bank led the charge lower on Friday after a $30 billion financial lifeline from 11 of the largest U.S. banks that was deposited into its accounts failed to calm investor fears. Its shares slid nearly 33% to end the week down close to 72%. In Europe, there was a further sharp fall in Credit Suisse shares, despite the Swiss National Bank's pledge of liquidity support to the lender earlier in the week. Credit Suisse gave up gains to finish 8% lower in Zurich, and the stock lost 24% over the course of the week. Here in Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index led gains in the Asia-Pacific region on Friday, driven by a surge in tech stocks. The Hang Seng Index was up 315 points, or 1.6%, to 19,519. That helped put it in positive territory for the week, with a gain of 1%. But ADRs and futures are pointing to a drop of 1.9% at the open this morning. And there's been huge volatility in the US bond markets for seven straight trading days. A gauge of bond market volatility hit the highest level on record outside of the 2008 financial crisis. The yield on the more interest rate sensitive uh, two-year note plummeted 28 basis points to 3.85%. 
That's a six-month low. And just a reminder that a fortnight ago, the yield topped 5% for the first time since 2007. And you can get more details on the latest market movements on my daily blog, which is peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. You're listening to Peter Lewis's Money Talk. And let's go and join our guests. We have with us this morning, Alex Wong, who is Director of Alex K.Y. Wong Asset Management. A very good morning to you, Alex. Good morning, Peter. And also with us is Nitin Dialdas, Chief Investment Officer at Mandarin Capital. Morning to you, Nitin. Good morning, Peter. So we've had quite a dramatic weekend, haven't we? There's no question that this is a bailout um, of of Credit Suisse by its much larger um, rival UBS. Is the crisis, though, Alex, that we've seen over the last couple of weeks now, um, do you think it's over? Is this going to be enough to contain it? I think it contained the the, the fear to the general market. So the market probably will stabilise and turn the attention to the Fed meeting this week. But uh, it will not contain the fear on banking stocks, I think, because uh, if you look at the bailout, um, the uh, Credit Suisse um, shareholders actually suffer big losses, suffer big loss, and then uh, people learned uh, the complexity of the bank uh, balance sheet uh, in this in, in the recent events, and and also the um, lack of protections of bailout of uh, shareholders. So I think uh, banking shares probably may not have uh, much room to recover, and that will get a devaluation uh, generally. Uh, but uh, the overall market, I think, uh, will stabilise. Nitin, do you think the crisis is over? Oh, no, I don't think it's over at all. Um, I think which is probably at the beginning of it. But I think there might be a little bit of a relief over the next couple of days on the fact that the UBS merger with Credit Suisse, people might look at it as though people are looking for solutions. Um, but uh, in terms of the crisis being over, far from it. I think there's still going to be a number of banks that will start getting hit and people will start focusing We've seen the mid-tier U.S. banks where they've had runs over the last week. Um, I think that's going to spill over into other countries as well. So I I just think we're at the beginning of it rather than um, near the end of it. So what is it going to take then to bring this crisis to an end? Um, That's a tough question. I think it's just got to be a period of stability. And um, we'll see on Wednesday when the Fed makes an announcement if they raise rates again. Uh, I think there'll be a lot of eyes in terms of how the bank's going to react. I mean, how the bank's going to fare against that, what their liquidity ratios are going to look like. And only if they can start seeing some sort of stability in those levels um, will people start easing off and um, not necessarily selling off the bank shares. But I would think if the Fed keeps rates stable on Wednesday, um, we might see again a further bit of relief rally. But like I said, going down the road, I think there are still a few issues into which banks have to deal with. Alex, how does this compare to the problems that banks had back in 2008 during the global financial crisis? Oh, this is a little bit different because uh, this time uh, this is uh, triggered by the uh, liquidity problems uh, and, and, and the treatment of those uh, held to maturity bonds uh, by the, by the SVB. So I think uh, this is... Uh, a little bit different because at that time the overall system actually is more highly leveraged than than this time. This is a more or less a uh, liquidity crunch, uh, not the credit crunch. So I think uh, this is uh, quite different from the crisis in 2008. But um, the problem is that the spread of information is much faster these days. So we can see uh, why they need to do deal with the situations in very short time because uh, actually. Um, uh, 
depositors and and also counterparties can 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 desert the bank in a very short time. So I think that's why they need to do a deal so 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 in in such a short time. Is this just a crisis of confidence then? If everyone stopped rushing to their bank to withdraw their deposits, the crisis would end immediately, wouldn't it? Because there's there's no banking system in the world that can cope uh, with everyone wanting their money back at the same time. So is this just a, an issue of confidence or is there something more um, fundamentally wrong with banks and the overall banking system? I think uh, this is wrong uh, with those banks are managing their liquidity too aggressively uh, uh, in the past two, uh, past few years. Because if you look at the case in uh, SVB, actually they, they, they are so highly leveraged in, in treasuries and, and they are not, um, they do not need to, 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 to deal with the unrealized loss uh, uh, before. So I think mm. uh, this is uh, more or less uh, uh, that kind of problem. So we need to stabilize the, the confidence of depositors uh, because, as you said, uh, no banks can uh, can handle the, the that, that kind of uh, speed of withdrawals. So uh, this is a confidence problem. Uh, but uh, the, we need to deal with uh, the fundamental issues uh, in, in the system because uh, uh, otherwise uh, other banks cannot uh, handle that kind of liquidity crunch in such a short time. So, so, so Nitin, um, is this a problem then with the banking system overall? Because for it to work properly when you have this fractional reserve banking system you do need large very well capitalized banks don't you with a diverse um, customer base but these regional banks in the u.s they're small uh, they've got very concentrated customer bases silicon valley bank had nearly all of uh, all of its customers were small st- uh, startup signature bank that was mainly crypto clients so is that part of the problem they're just not big enough and diverse enough yeah, for sure. Um, and I think you hit the nail on the head there where you need a diverse base of uh, customers. Um, you need to have maybe a larger set of customers as well because it's not like every single person is going to go and make a run that is part of that bank. Mm. But given the fact banks have, say, 10 15% capital adequate, well, say 15% capital adequacy ratios, um, you only need twenty percent of your customers to go, or twenty percent of the deposits to make a run, and you're, in, you know, mm. you're under the water. Um, I don't necessarily think it's a problem in terms of the banking system because I mean it's something that served the banking system for hundreds of years. It's not that it's a new phenomenon, um, but I do think yeah, having a more diverse base and uh, maybe a larger customer base, it might be one of the times where you're saying instead of uh, too big is bad, it might be too big is actually quite good. So are there other banks out there in a similar position to Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank? Um, well, I think, like you said, the, the mid-tier banks in the US are having the runs uh, at the moment. And uh, I think there are a lot of uh, smaller banks, say, and you know what's going to be interesting will be some of the um, online banks. Is mm-hmm. Nobody's actually really tested any of those because they're not physical, they don't necessarily have as much in terms of overheads, but they also can be quite concentrated, and since some of the online, online banks can be quite small and quite uh, concentrated in the customer base. So if they start to, um, if people start making a run on them, there could be an interesting scenario to see how that plays out. The, the regulators in the US... Um, and the government's been very careful to avoid using the word bailout. And, and the Swiss government did it again over the weekend. They insisted this isn't a bailout. But is that true? Is it a bailout? Um, not exactly in the sense that it is an actual so-called merger or takeover by UBS. 
Um, but yeah, it was completely instigated by the Swiss government and since they wouldn't let a non-Swiss entity take over Credit Suisse. So it had to be very, you know, much on the Swiss side of it. And who was left was really only UBS. So yeah, clearly it's been instigated by the government, but it's not, say, taxpayers' money per se that's going that's being used in terms of funding this merger. So I wouldn't say it's a complete bailout. Mm. Um, yeah, But ultimately... It's the U.S. Treasury that's giving this money to the Fed, and then the U.S. Treasury pays for that by issuing more government bonds, of course, and the interest yeah. from that comes from the taxpayer. Yeah, that's true. I think that's fair. Um, so, yeah, in that sense, uh, I think with, yeah, First National Bank and those, yeah, the, 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 that's, yeah, for sure. Alex, what about out here um, in China? Is the banking model here... Uh, different to the US and Europe, such that Chinese banks and Hong Kong banks are immune from contagion elsewhere? I think uh, basically um, Hong Kong banks actually are, are, are more prudent, I think, uh, in, in, their, in their liquidity management. And so, um, and they're not so tied to those um, the, uh, unrealized laws in their holding maturity bonds. I think uh, probably okay. And, and in, in, in China, um, actually, they're Small banks actually are not in that good positions, but uh, China's are more dominated by, by large banks. So I think that the system as a whole is okay. But these Chinese banks, they do have some problems of their own, don't they? They're heavily exposed um, to large property developers, many of which have defaulted on their loans. Is that problem contained or is there a risk that um, the crisis elsewhere may prompt people to take a, a closer look at their exposures here to, to the property sector? I think uh, China has experienced that, and and people assist, uh, have, have faith in those large banks. So um, I think that they would be contained because uh, we we would not see that kind of uh, uh, disappearance of uh, confidence in the in the mm. system or in those large banks in China. So basically, uh, that had happened uh, uh, one or two decades ago, and I think uh, people learned the lessons and 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 think the government handled it. So I think uh, that's why uh, we will not see similar situations in China. Nitin, do you, do you think there's a risk at all of contagion spreading here, or is the the model and the system sufficiently uh, ring fenced? Um, I agree with in terms of Hong Kong. I think the Hong Kong banks are pretty secure, so they should be okay. But um, I don't necessarily agree with Alex in terms of the China side. And I think the cut in the RRR by the Chinese government late last week is a sign that there might be some issues that we are not necessarily knowing too much about. Mm. Um, I think the debt levels, as, as you said, within developers and some of these other companies in China, do put a lot of pressure on the banks continuously. And for now, they've uh, ridden it out. But for how long? How much longer can they keep doing that? Because we all know the level of debts, and at some point, that's going to catch up with them. Um, so yeah, I think in terms of the Chinese banks, the res- the company reserve rate ratio last week was probably a sign that there were few more issues than um, we're, we're really trying to let, let to believe. Mm, I mean, these banks are state-owned, aren't they? So they have uh, a sort of implicit government support. And that, that support, I mean, people assume that the government's going to come to their rescue. Is that support, that implicit support, valid? <laughs> to a certain extent, yes. But, you know, it's not like they've got unlimited amounts of money that they can spell out everyone. So at some point they're going to have to pick and choose as well because um, it's not a potless, you know, uh, sorry, endless le- level of cash that they can keep going to every single bank and bailing out every little bit of debt. Mm. Um, so I think that's where the issues uh, will arise is 
at some point if it does turn into a crisis. I'm not saying necessarily it will happen overnight, but say there is a, a proper blame crisis within the banking se- uh, sector in China, they will then have to pick and choose. And the largest will survive, you know, your agricultural banks, your PCBs, your ICBCs, they will survive. But some of the smaller banks, um, they might have to go by the wayside or be sucked up by the bigger banks. And it just becomes, you know, uh, smaller, a uh, smaller number of banks that will be a lot larger than what they have been in the past. Alex, the, the one um, region in Asia that has been hit is Japan. Why have Japanese banks been so hard hit? Oh, I think, uh, first of all, you, you've got a, um, which, uh, a rising yen again. So that is a bet for Japanese companies. And then uh, they probably are still, 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 still tied to each other. So I think that the whole system actually is, uh, is a bit close uh, within, the, within themselves. So that's why I think uh, they are more, more hit uh, hardly than others. Mm. So what does the Fed do now? It's meeting Tuesday and Wednesday. Um, does it continue with rate hikes? My guess is they would continue uh, with one more hike. I think uh, they, actually the market probably prefer they, 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 they raise the weights up by one more time uh, because market actually uh, I want them to sow some faith in the economy. So I think uh, probably they would still raise it by one, by one more time. But I think uh, what matters would be the... Uh, would be the speech of uh, Powell uh, after the, 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 the meeting. So I think uh, market will expect the Fed uh, to take a more dovish stance, but this time I think uh, they would still uh, raise the, raise the weights by one more time. Jerome Powell's in a difficult situation, isn't he? He's got to really um, tone that speech well because he, he can't really be seen to be caving to the financial markets and the, and the big banks. He's, 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 he's got to show, hasn't he, that he still intends to bring inflation down and that hasn't been abandoned. Yeah, so that's why I think the market probably will expect him to to raise the weights up by one more time, and then I think uh, and then that would be more data dependent, uh, and and also we need to see the situation because right now uh, we have seen a uh, quite sharp fall in commodity prices. Uh, in I mean in 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 oil, so um, that probably will help a little bit. And does um, he start cutting? Later this year, because the markets are now assuming that after this week we're going to have a hundred basis points of rate cuts by the end of the year. Yeah, I think uh, uh, that would be data dependent, of course, because uh, what happened in the banking system actually would uh, would sp- spread out to the to the real world activities. So I think uh, yeah, we need to see uh, how things go out later on. But uh, right now, I think the market will expect that uh, for a while. Listen, this is all very odd, really, isn't it, what the Fed's doing right now? Because it's raising interest rates, it's shrinking its balance sheet uh, through quantitative tightening. And then at the same time, it's injected $300 billion of liquidity through its emergency loan facilities, um, exploded its balance sheet in the process, which is a form of, um, of easing. So it can't do all those things at the same time for too long, can it? No, no, definitely not. And I think it, they're looking at this as maybe a short-term banking crisis which as i said might not necessarily play out um so they're doing the emergency loans in terms of helping the banks over you know currently but the reality is and jerome powell's been very very clear about it inflation is their target so as long as inflation remains high the interest rates will keep climbing Hmm. and you know in his speech 10 days ago or last week he actually turned around and said well we're targeting 5.75 percent now and Nobody seems to be paying heed to it because of what's going on in the banking crisis. 
or let's say what does mid-tier banks, but he, he was very adamant as far as he's concerned. It's about inflation. Um, and I think that he will ring true to those words. So there will be a, a rate cut. I don't think he's necessarily going to say what the markets want him to say after it, because I think he will continue to focus on the inflation side. And um, on the flip side, yeah, as the bankings need the emergency, uh, as the banks need emergency loans, he will. Pro- I mean, the Fed will provide that liquidity, but I think they see that probably as it's a bit of a run on what's happened with SVB, what's happened with Credit Suisse, um, and that should maybe start easing off over a period of time. Uh, but inflation is here to stay for a little while longer, and that's where they can target. And his fueling inflation, the very inflation that he's trying to control, is fueling it by pumping all this liquidity um, into into the financial system. Yeah, <laughs> so, that's it. It's, I mean, that's the irony of it all. I mean, the inflation that's come about has been because of Fed pumping money into the whole system for the last eight, nine years. Um, and, you know, cheap money has made it, to eventually was going to catch up with us. And that's what mm. we're at at the moment. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, you've got to balance it somewhat. You don't want a you know, couple of more banks to go under because then that really leads to massive contagion. And then you do start getting the runs on all banks, including some of the big banks. So you have to try and contain it as much as possible at source and um, then hope that this doesn't spread too far. And once you've contained it, you can then start looking for, you know, easing up on the loans and um, focusing more again on the inflation side and getting the economy more balanced. Alex, let me get your thoughts on the market reaction to all of this. First of all, the, the huge volatility that we're seeing in the bond market. And we've seen some massive moves, haven't we, particularly in um, U.S. Treasuries, two-year bond yields. On one, on one day last week, on Monday, they fell by the most in a single day since 1982. These are not the sort of moves that we would normally expect. And, and you know, we didn't see them at the collapse of Lehman Brothers even as big as this. What do you make of these moves? Well, first of all, uh, these days, uh, the market actually is more derivative-dominated. Uh, uh, so that's why it would uh, um, amplify the movement in short terms. And then I think uh, the market actually do expect um, because 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 uh, previously um, uh, power comments actually uh, has uh, has been uh, quite hawkish, so that's why the bonds are, are quite the bond yield actually are, 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 are were surging before that. So that's why we have a, a relatively high level before the crisis. And then that suddenly the expectation change, and then we probably may see uh, many kinds of. of um, liquidations of those short positions along the way. So I think uh, uh, that's why we are seeing a, uh, a huge volatility in the bond market. And I think uh, probably we may continue to see that because uh, this uh, Fed meeting actually uh, would still be quite crucial. So uh, and, and also we have seen a lot of option activities in the market. So probably we will see uh, the, this kind of volatility continue for a while. And how do you think Chinese markets um, are going to react on the mainland? We, we've seen, well, the MSCI China, um, which covers Hong mm. Kong stocks as well. It's given up all its gains now for the year, hasn't it? So do you think China markets are immune to this or are there other things going on affecting them? Actually, China markets uh, have some beneficiaries on this crisis because if you look at those SOE listed in Hong Kong, they are actually hovering around the, 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 their highs and actually they have been performing uh, extremely well uh, in the last three months. Uh, what we are talking about, the weakness in the market actually is uh, due to those uh, uh, mega tech stocks uh, and also uh, several financial uh, stocks in, in Hong Kong. 
So uh, we probably will see polarization, and and I think uh, people would feel more comfortable to buy uh, SOEs such as telecoms and and even oils in in China because they are more more lowly valued uh, uh, than the peers in in overseas. So I think uh, we probably may continue to see that kind of uh, safe haven buying in the SOE. Uh, people are more confident and in in the business model and also in the valuation. So we are likely to see the index uh, to, to to gyrate uh, within a uh, within a lower range, but uh, probably we may see continual fund flows into those SOE sectors. Nitin, final word to you. How how do you think China uh, markets are going to react to all of this? Yeah, I agree with Alex. Actually, I think they will be somewhat uh, separated from what's going on, um, and there there is a diverse um, diverse performances going on where the tech stocks are getting hit, but the SOEs are performing well. And I think that's it, is people seem to still have faith in terms of the China government bailing out all their own companies, and the SOEs become some sort of a safe, safe and play. Whereas the tech companies, there's still the fear over what's happened over the last few years. Interestingly, I actually start thinking, I, th- I think from an investment perspective, the tech companies look interesting because mm-hmm. they have come down quite a bit. I do think that the government is now focused on getting the economy back on track and having some of the tech companies perform quite well. Um, So I think over the long run, that will be fine. But no market in that short term is going to be too safe um, as long as the banks continue to be under pressure. Okay, well, thank you both very much. You heard there Nitin Dialdus, who's Chief Investment Officer at Mandarin Capital, Alex Wong, who is Director of Alex KY Wong Asset Management. You're listening to Peter Lewis's Money Talk. And I'm joined now by Brock Silvers, who is the Chief Investment Officer at Kion Capital. Very good morning to you, Brock. Good morning. Um, it's been a dramatic weekend, hasn't it? Once again, we've seen yet another um, bank rescue. The government doesn't want to use the word bailout. But um, what do you make of this? I mean, UBS buying Credit Suisse for just over three billion US dollars. Who would have thought that a while ago? Yeah, look, that that certainly is is a shocker, I I guess. Um, but I'm I'm not really overly worried for Credit Suisse, um, where I, I actually spent a, a business school summer. Um, there's plenty of liquidity available, legit acquisition interest. You know, I I think that uh, that Credit Suisse will ultimately be okay. And is the crisis over now? Has this um, stemmed uh, the the crisis of confidence, or do you think there's more to come? Um, there could be more to come, but, you know, a widespread problem is not necessarily a contagious problem. I think what we're really uncovering is that many banks were simply um, were simply mismanaged, at least to some degree, hopefully not to the degree that that uh, that SVB was was mismanaged. So there may be more to come. But but I don't think that this is really the uh, this is really the problem that's going to bring down the house of cards. I think we have some life yet. So what does the Fed do now? It's meeting this week, Tuesday and Wednesday. Um, does it still raise interest rates? The Fed's in an incredibly difficult position. You know, the the banks and the markets in general have opposed the Fed's course of hikes since it started. Um, but but look, inflation remains and it's not transitory. If if uh, if I were in charge, I think the Fed should still do 50 basis points, but I don't think that's that's very realistic right now. From my point of view, they can raise now or they can raise later. 
The important thing is we can't be blackmailed into permanently low or, or zero rates. You know, free money was a bad policy then, and rate normalization now will be painful. And if we don't do it now, then then when are we going to do it? Mm. So we're in a bit of a problem, but it's really one of our own making. But isn't the Fed making matters worse? Because while it's trying to raise rates and control inflation, um, it's pumped $300 billion into the banking system, which is inflationary, isn't it? And goes against um, raising rates. Absolutely. Um, they, it's a bit schizophrenic right now. And I just think they're in an incredibly difficult position. And it shows in the policy decisions they're making. Mm. And what do you make of the market um, reaction? First of all, in the bond markets, we've seen huge volatility, haven't we, in the bond markets, as if uh, they're completely repricing now um, the outlook for interest rates compared to where it was just a few days ago. Yeah, that's right. Look, we're going to see high volatility in the in the U.S. and I think in uh, in China, Hong Kong, for a number of possibly different reasons. Um, you know, many people were looking for equities to underperform in a new era of higher rates. So there were lots of uh, of U.S. equity bears out there or for willing bears. Um, and, and the general banking fears are remaining. It's it's hard to see a stable outlook for the U.S. right now. In China, equities are also troubled, um, and I think for a number of reasons, still unrelated to the banking crisis. You know, rates are still generally expected to to be on the upswing. China's recovery is disappointing. The U.S.-Sino relationship remains uh, grave at best. Um, It's hard to have a positive outlook for the MSCI, I think, for the remainder of the year. And it's given up all of its gains now for the year, hasn't it? The MSCI um, China index. Yeah, that's right. And and I think that's probably not aberrational. And, and is that because of this crisis or are there other things going on that are specific um, to the mainland? I, I get that we had a lot of economic data, didn't we, last week, which sort of tended to suggest that, yes, there's a recovery, but it's hardly a boom. It, that's right. Look, the, the banking issues are dramatic and they take up all the headlines. They, are, they don't have a direct impact, I think, on, on Chinese equities and Chinese financial markets, but they do have um, an attitudinal impact, an indirect impact, mm-hmm. and it is not helping. But the real problem remains that, that the Chinese um, recovery is underwhelming. It appears to be underwhelming. China also is at uh, some policy crossroads. There are some questions as to what's going on uh, in the regulatory realm and whether or not that impacts sort of base investability. There are lots of reasons to, um, to keep powder dry with regard to China, and the general banking issue is just not helping the overall atmosphere. And what about the uh, the reorganisation um, of to, to oversee the financial and tech sector? Because it looks like direct control of those two sectors has now moved away from the government, or certainly from the state council, um, to the ruling communist party instead. Is this going to make a difference? Is it going to make those sec- sectors uh, more efficient? Well, it, it'll make a difference in a lot of ways. Um, you know, the regulatory overhaul may improve the effectiveness of the oversight. And I suppose that could be a positive for markets. But it also really, I think, lessens the attractiveness, if not even the plausibility of China's financial markets. You know, 
I don't think I'm speaking solely for myself when I say I, I'm I'm less than interested in investing into common prosperity or even submitting client funds to the CCP's direct oversight. So this over this overhaul may be helpful, but it also probably hurts the sanctions case vis-a-vis the U.S. and it is uh, I think repellent to Western investors. So it's clearly a mixed bag, and I don't think that. Beijing is overly concerned with my take on the Western investor reaction. So is the the sanctions that the US have imposed on tech exports, high tech exports to China, is that the main reason why they're doing this? And has it had um, a particularly big impact on the on the Chinese tech sector? The sanctions themselves, I think they they have been biting and will continue to 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 do so. Um, I don't think that the overhaul will help settle the issue. I think it's more it's more along the lines of China and the U.S. are respectively drawing their lines in the sand. So I think that issue is going to be worse. Um, but I do think it's having a, a negative impact on Chinese companies and some Chinese sectors. Brock, thank you very much indeed. That's Brock Silvers, who is the chief investment officer at Kion Capital. <laughs> And thank you for listening to Money Talk this morning. You can find more details about some of the topics I've been talking about today, along with information on other headlines and market moves on my daily blog. Take a look at Peter Lewis, moneytalk.substack.com. I'll be back tomorrow with another show. Joining me then will be Asian fund management industry consultant Stuart Aldcroft, Mark Michelson, chairman of the Asia CEO Forum at IMA Asia. And our U.S. economics correspondent, writer and broadcaster, Barry Wood. Thank you very much for listening. Bye for now. Money Talk.